following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Life in Christ. Speak for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Recently, as many of you know, I spent time in a hospital. It was only one night, and it was an orthopedic hospital, Crystal Clinic, where there are not generally people with life-threatening illnesses. But my little sojourn reminded me of one of the features of hospitals that I have observed across many years of doing hospital visitation. When you go to a hospital, you see a lot of activity in the hallways. You see nurses moving from room to room. You see support staff wheeling carts of food and cleaning materials. You see patients being transported in and out of rooms, going to to tests or to surgeries. But one thing you never see, you never see a corpse being rolled down the hall on a gurney. Uh, That's interesting because people die in the hospital all the time. But if you show up to visit someone in a hospital or to have a test or to have a surgical procedure, you never see a dead person rolling by. Now there's a reason for that. If, If you were to see a dead person rolling by, you might decide that you did not want that surgery after all. You might be upset. And so there are procedures in place in hospitals to keep the deceased out of view. They are discreetly moved to the morgue. And that reflects a general practice in our society. As much as possible, we keep death out of view. Of course, we are not shielded from the fact of death. We hear reports of death all the time in the news. But the big stories about death are typically of people far away. People in the Ukraine, for example. Naturally, we also see obituaries. We hear about the deaths of people that we knew. But we have a way of reminding ourselves that, of course, it is always someone else who has died. In his classic book, The Death of Ivan Illich, Leo Tolstoy tells the story of the death of a middle-aged Russian professional in the late 19th century. And he describes the response of people who knew the man as follows. Besides considerations as to the possible transfers and promotions likely to result from Ivan Illich's death, the mere fact of the death of a near acquaintance aroused, as usual, in all who heard it, the complacent feeling that it is he who is dead and not I. We like to keep the reality of death at a distance from ourselves, and our culture helps us to do that. Most of us, just, we just don't see death in our daily lives. And when we do go to a funeral and there's a body in the casket, the deceased person is made to look as much as possible as he or she did during life. In contemporary funeral practice, there's often an effort to look away from death altogether. Rather than calling the service a funeral, which sounds grim, The preference today is to call a service for a deceased person a celebration of life. At some celebrations of life, the entire emphasis is on upbeat stories about 
good things the person did and happy memories that people have. Every effort is made to turn the focus away from the fact that the person is dead. Moreover, when it comes to our personal lives, our culture has many mechanisms in place to help us to think that our life will go on indefinitely. Health experts tell us that if we eat the right food and exercise, we will live long into the future. People look to medicine with the expectation that it should provide the solution to every ailment. And even our entertainment media encourage us to think that we will have a kind of immortality. After all, in the movies, the hero never dies. Our whole culture essentially encourages us to just enjoy life and not think about death. That's very much along the lines of what the Greek philosopher Epicurus once taught. Epicurus, who lived around 300 BC, was the founder of the Eat, Drink, and Be Merry school of philosophy. And he once made the statement, death doesn't bother us because as long as we're here, death is not here. And when death arrives, we are no longer here. That statement encapsulates perhaps how many people want to think today, why worry about death, just ignore it as long as we're here. But of course, sometimes it becomes very difficult to ignore death as from time to time, reality breaks in upon us. It may happen when a close loved one dies or when we ourselves face a serious illness that reminds us of our mortality. The reality of death may also confront us as we experience the effects of aging, when our aches and pains tell us that our body will not last forever. As the German theologian Hans Schaefer aptly put it, we experience a wearing away of the substance out of which we exist. In various ways, we may tangibly confront the reality that the Book of Common Prayer expresses in the phrase, in the midst of life, we are in death. Yet even as reality forces itself upon us, it is possible for us to run with renewed vigor away from death. And this is precisely the tendency of our modern age. We live in a death-denying culture. We know deep down that we are mortal, but we are constantly encouraged to forget about that and just try to find happiness in the here and now. But there is a problem with the effort to ignore or deny the reality of death, and it is this. Whoever does not come to terms with death will be unable to find the answer to life. In recent years, a number of psychologists, anthropologists, and sociologists have been making observations along this line that whoever does not come to terms with death will be unable to find the answer to life and indeed will be unable to live well. The anthropologist Ernest Becker, for example, who won a Pulitzer Prize for his book, The Denial of Death, argued that the cultural denial of death actually is at the root of a great deal of the evil that people do. I referred to Becker in another sermon a couple weeks ago. Becker lays out an insightful argument, which is basically this. Deep down, people have a profound fear of death. They try to deny and flee from the reality of death by making themselves seem significant. 
They want to give their lives a grand dimension of some sort, so as to give themselves the feeling that they're part of something immortal. People will typically seek this significance by trying to acquire money or power or becoming a part of some grand ideology or political movement. Nationalist movements are one way that people may seek significance. They try to find their own sense of greatness by identifying with some powerful nation, finding uh, their sense of grandeur by joining with some power in the world. And we are seeing precisely an example of that today in Russia. The result of this drive for personal significance is that people end up, in various ways, trampling over other people. In short, the unresolved fear of death drives people to seek a kind of immortality in stature and power and glory and yields thereby all sorts of agony on earth. Along similar lines, the German theologian Hans Jürgen Feldmann argued that the inability to face death is what moves people to engage in all sorts of futility and vain pursuits. When people have no answer to death, they imagine they must try to find every happiness in this life. And so they scramble to obtain satisfaction and, and contentment. They run after this pleasure and that. But so many things remain unattained, and so many good things are clearly transient. And thus there mounts within the human heart a sense of desperation. As all the efforts to achieve perfection in this life fall short, and death keeps drawing nearer. As Feldman put it, whoever does not come to terms with death places upon life impossible demands. In sum, when people do not have an answer to death, when they try to ignore death or run away from death, they end up living poorly and come finally to an end in life that is without meaning. As the psalmist put it sharply in Psalm 49, Mortals cannot abide in their pomp. They are like the beasts that perish. One of the truly striking features of the life of Jesus is that Jesus does not ignore death or run away from death. Quite unlike the typical movie script of today, in the story of Jesus, the hero dies. Of course, the disciples then respond in a way that's typical for human behavior. They run away and hide. But Jesus deals with death in a fashion completely different from the typical hero in our time. He does not escape death, but heads straight into death. And he ends up finally in a tomb. The story of Jesus thus runs absolutely counter to that centuries-old tendency to ignore or run away from death. The story of Jesus says that if we're going to have an answer to life, we have to have an answer to death. Jesus enters right into death. And the final answer then comes on Easter. We see the answer in the empty tomb. The tomb says that death is real. But the tomb is empty. And that says that Christ has defeated death. God in Christ has opened the way beyond death into life eternal. It is very significant then to note what, happen, what happens subsequently in the disciples 
as they take hold of the message of the empty tomb, as they see how death has been answered there, their lives become dramatically changed in the here and now. They become filled with a new vitality. They have a new sense of purpose and being a part of God's eternal plan. They are buoyant with a feeling of joy and confidence in God. Although before Easter, the disciples run from death, now they go out proclaiming the gospel and they face death all the time without fear. In short, the disciples enter a new kind of life now when they have discovered in Jesus the answer to death. What happens in the disciples illustrates the statement of Jesus in that passage we heard from the Gospel of John, reflected also in the first letter of John. Jesus said, the one who hears my word and believes God who sent me has eternal life. That person has passed from death to life. Notice that Jesus does not say the person who believes will have eternal life, as though we must plod along in this life until one day we may enter into new and eternal life. But Jesus says the one who believes has eternal life. That person has passed already from death into life. In short, according to Jesus, eternal life begins now. And this is exactly what we see in the disciples. A new life begins for them the moment they truly take hold of the message of Easter. And the same can be true for us. When we receive what Christ has done for us, when we know that death is answered, then we can be released from all that vain striving, all that grasping after significance, all that self-delusion that so afflicts the modern consciousness. Instead, knowing ourselves to be a part of God's people forever, we can live with a new sense of purpose. We can live with confidence and real hope. We can live in the joy of knowing that we are sharing in God's everlasting love. This past week, we had a funeral service for Candy Thaxton, who was a faithful member of this church for more than six decades. Candy was known for many things. She was a woman with a gracious spirit, a kind heart, and a deep faith. In our church, Candy was especially and specifically known for her rhubarb pies. She was an expert at growing rhubarb, and she made fantastic pies. For a number of years, she would donate a pie each year to our Youth Time and Talent Luncheon and Auction, which is our major youth fundraiser. That event, by the way, this year will be happening in the fall. In my remarks at the funeral this past week, I recalled the story of how one year, as Candy's pie was being auctioned off to members of the congregation, the price was bid up to eight hundred dollars. They were really good pies. <laughs> but of course, at the auction that day, people finally were not really bidding for the pie. They were bidding as a tribute to Candy to recognize with gratefulness all the ways that she had brought blessing to this congregation 
candy had become a part of something truly eternal, truly good, something spiritual and lasting as she had connected herself with Christ and the ministry of Christ. The service for candy was titled the way that we normally title a funeral service. It was called a service of death and resurrection. Actually, no matter what the title, we treat every funeral in the church the same way. We acknowledge straight on the reality of death, that this is a time for grief. But we are not finally downcast. We are hopeful, lifted up finally with a deep joy, not because we are ignoring death, but because we have the answer to death in the resurrection made possible through Jesus Christ. So we could truly celebrate Candy's life and entrust her into God's everlasting arms. The story of Easter says that we can each look death straight in the face and look right through it to see the promises of God. When we do that, life today is transformed and we can affirm with the first disciples that eternal life begins now. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks and praise that through Jesus Christ, you indeed have given us the answer to death. You have defeated death, opening the way for each one of us into new and everlasting life. Inspire us, O Lord, that we might take hold of that message truly for our own lives, that we might receive that gift of forgiveness and everlasting life that comes to us through Jesus Christ, that we might know today that we are a part of your eternal kingdom in order, Lord, that as we take hold of that good news, our lives today might tra be transformed. And we might live today as your people, knowing ourselves to be a part of your kingdom forever and sharing today and reaching out with your eternal love to the world. We thank you, O Lord, that as you bestow your grace upon us, you draw us into fellowship with one another, that we might grow together in faith and grow in service for others. We do give thanks for your, your empowering spirit that is with us, and we pray especially this morning for people who are dealing with particular challenges. We remember those who are dealing with illness or recovering from surgeries, and pray especially today for Gail Lundberg, Pat Ginn, Deb Saito, and Krista Clavicilla praying for your ongoing healing power. We remember those who are mourning, and we continue to pray for the family and friends of Candy Thaxton, and we pray especially today for the family and friends of Joanne Maynard, giving thanks, O oh God, for Joanne's witness and service across many years in the life of this church, and trusting her Lord into your arms. We thank you for the good news that indeed, because of Christ, death is not the end, but that we have in you that promise of life forever, life that can begin today in each one of us. Move us, Lord, as we share in that life as your people with one another, as we join as your family in the church. We do lift up our fellow United Methodists this morning at the Streetsbury United Methodist Church, and we, we rejoice in those ways that we can be a part of ministry in the world at large. We do give special thanks today for Africa University, for the ministry that is being carried on there for many students uh, across Africa, we thank you for the ability to be a part of that project to create a new women's dormitory, so much needed there for the, the growing student population. 
We pray, Lord, you continue to empower our efforts to reach out in, in, in mission with others. We do remember persons around the world who are in times of great challenge. We think especially of people in Ukraine. Well, Lord, on this day, which in the Eastern Orthodox Church is being celebrated as Easter Sunday, we think of persons in Ukraine who are suffering from a horrible and evil war. We think also of persons in Russia who are being so terribly misled. We pray, O oh Lord, that your enlightening spirit would be at work in people's hearts and minds, and pray that that message of resurrection might indeed give persons hope that out of the ashes of today, new life can emerge, that, Lord, you are one who creates new beginnings. Lead each one of us to see that power, how we can be a part of your life-giving power today. Move us as we join with you in giving praise for your wondrous gifts and opening our lives that we might share today as your disciples and reach out with your grace to all the world. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.